Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We hope you're safe and well and urge you to be careful. Well, we end the week, but also start a new month. Welcome to May, and in many ways, we hope it's a much better month than March and April were. So uh, we're hopeful that things are going to start getting back on track and moving forward, but there are still plenty of challenges that we continue to focus on for agriculture. The pork industry in a crisis situation. We'll talk with the president-elect of the National Pork Producers Council, Jen Sorensen, talk about the uh, move to keep packing plants open, but some of the challenges that go along with that. We're going to take a look at what... uh, farmers are doing to help others during this uh, crisis. We're going to talk with uh, farmers from Illinois and Minnesota to find out what corn and soybean growers are doing to help out during this crisis. We'll be talking with Marty Marr with the Illinois Corn Growers Association and Harold Wolf with the Minnesota Corn Growers Association. And also uh, um, today we're going to take a look at that effort in Oklahoma to connect consumers directly to cattle producers and we'll talk with Harold Wolf or rather with Michael Kelsey executive vice president of the Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association to find out more about that effort so some some good things going on in different states to try to help people through these challenging times uh, there have been questions raised uh, with all the news about packing plants having to idle or close and backing up uh, the the meat supply uh, to consumers uh, there have been questions about couldn't uh, local meat lockers pick up some of that uh, some of that volume and we want to kind of get an update on that we're going to go to the executive secretary of the illinois association of meat processors diane hansacker is with us now diane thank you very much for joining us uh you tell me that uh in the state of illinois and i'm sure in other states as well our local meat lockers are already pretty busy Yes, the small and medium-sized meat plants all throughout Illinois and really across the nation are extremely busy. I'm going to ask what capacity they're at. They're probably about 125%, and they're way above where they normally are at this time of year if we were in a normal year. Um, yep, they are, they're really doing everything they can, and they're doing a great job getting, um, they're keeping their shelves full and working through this crisis situation. And these local meat lockers are faced with some limitations and some challenges as well on labor and also on on cooler capacity, right? Right. You know, as much we just had a meeting last night, and as much as we would all love to be able to slaughter more animals, they only have so much physical space. They only have so much time where they have an inspector on the floor to be able to harvest animals, and they only have so much refrigerated cooler space to take to cool down the carcasses and take care of the processed meat. So there, talked to a lot of them last night, and they are extremely busy. They are full. They have a long wait for customers to get animals in to get them processed. Are you hearing any reports of um, COVID-19 positive tests showing up in some of these uh, businesses and uh, therefore kind of cutting back on their worker availability? At this time, no. I have not heard of any cases at any of the small plants, and most of them have their employees working um, at least full-time, if not some some overtime. Some have even posted where they're hiring right now. 
they've done an ex- excellent job in a small plant. They are able to really keep track of their employees. Um, if anyone has any sort of issue with anything, the plant owners are very connected to their employees, and they know if there's any sort of an issue. But no, I've not heard of a single small plant in Illinois that has any cases in their plant. Um, they are definitely working. The American Association of Meat Processors has been working very closely with these small plants to make sure they have all the information they need to follow guidelines. They are following the social distancing and the physical separation in the plants. They're following the requirement for face masks, and they're doing everything they can to keep their employees healthy and working. Which brings up the question, we're hearing in some of these packing plants about uh, moving workers further apart, you know, more distancing, mm-hmm. which obviously yes. slows down the line, but yes. would be a would be a safety measure. Uh, how how is that being enforced in these smaller meat plants? Well, typically in these smaller plants, they don't have the long lines that you envision in the large plants that you've seen. They just they don't have as many employees in one area that the large plants would. So they're able to physically separate much more easily than the large plants where they have the long lines. So a lot of these plants may have one or two tables, and they maybe only have one or two people working at those tables. And they may have maybe some of the plants may have two or three of those situations, sets of tables, what they're working off of one saw and things like that. So they just don't have that many people in one small area. For their... um, their floors that they're harvesting the animals on, they may have three, four people out there. They're not going to have the, um, the situation in a large plant where they're standing side by side. It's not the same situation in the smaller to mid-sized plants. Diane, you mentioned that the plants are at or, ab- or above capacity or what they would normally mm-hmm. be, certainly. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that because of what's happening at the, the, the big processing plants? Is that put more on the, the, the smaller meat lockers? Well, actually, for the last few years, there's been a push for more local products and more um, buying mm-hmm. direct from the farmers. I've Many of the plants in my area have been booked out for processing dates for months, and some of them have even been booked out close to a year. It's not uncommon for me to stop at a plant and I say, how far out are you on, on processing? And they'll say six to eight months. So when you already had that going on, and then you add everything that's been happening, and then people now even more, people that weren't um, buying locally, they have now looked for a means to do that. So when the supply chain slowed down a little bit, I don't want to say it's broken because it's certainly not. I was in the grocery store just two days ago, and there was pork and beef on the shelf. But I, um, it has been delayed in... Um, many consumers have reached out to the smaller plants because they were able to still process animals that they had ordered for themselves for beef and pork, and they've been able to keep their shelves full. They've done an excellent job of supplying the extra demand during this situation that they may not have had quite as many customers before. But they've always been busy. They've always been doing an excellent job producing fantastic products, but um, they have seen an, a specific increase, especially in their retail stores, and also calling to get animals processed. Mm-hmm. They're just already full, so they're having a hard time taking any more on. But 
they um, are doing the best they can about taking orders and filling them as they can. Uh, I know many of them have asked for local producers to bring in additional hogs and beef for their own stores so that they can keep beef and pork and right. products in their sh- on their shelves. Diane, thank you very much. Uh, great perspective there and giving us a look at the, our local meat lockers around the country. Thank you very much. All right, thank you. Diane Hansacker, she's Executive Secretary of the Illinois Association of Meat Processors. Coming up next, the President-Elect of the National Pork Producers Council here on AOA. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And we welcome back Jen Sorensen, President-Elect of the National Pork Producers Council. Jen, thanks for being back on with us. Uh, Since we talked last, the President, of course, has uh, issued that order to keep meatpacking plants open. Now, there's uh, been some controversy and some debate around that as far as legalities and and worker safety and things like that. But uh, what is your reaction, your response to the president's move? Well, you know, we applaud the administration for taking this step to invoke the Defense Production Act. You know, by by doing so, the federal government prioritizes the continuity of pork processing plant operations. In fact, um, in terms of um, sourcing PPE, equipment and some of those those other things. I mean, their packing plant workers are right behind healthcare workers in terms of of keeping those workplaces safe and those workers safe. So uh, for us, we definitely applaud those. Um, We plotted the decision from earlier this week. Uh, But the concerns, you know, unions are involved in this and there's uh, safety uh, concerns here we're seeing we're seeing lines slow down by distancing of workers and things like that but obviously a plant open even if the lines are slowed at least it's better than them being closed right that's true mike um you know worker safety on farms and in plants is is paramount you know plants are following cdc guidelines they're spacing out workers you know they're supplying that ppe they're doing temperature screenings disinfecting every night um, and work and continuing to work collaborative collaboratively with state and federal health officials. but but you're right, a plant open still allows us to get hogs into into the food chain versus closure, where really is in turn a crisis on our farms. and And that's the real issue for u s. hog farmers is that we continue to see a thirty three percent loss of plant capacity, you know, due to the closures, due to the worker absenteeism, due to the line sleep, line speeds going down, uh, and we will be playing catch-up for a long, long time here. So we continue to have hogs back up with nowhere to go, um, just so U.S. hog farmers continue to be in a, in a very challenging situation. 
What are you hearing from producers around the country as far as that situation? Nowhere to go with their hogs. Uh, you can only hold them so long. Uh, mm-hmm. And we're hearing stories about animals having to be destroyed. What yep. What are you hearing? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, that's true. There was another announcement earlier this week, um, which was also welcomed by hog farmers uh, from APHIS and setting up a command incident center um, to help producers navigate through and find the resources for uh, proper and humane euthanasia on their farms. We're seeing our states organize, in fact, uh, middle of this week, the Iowa Department of Agriculture, DNR, ISU, and Iowa Pork Producers Association established a, a command center uh, for Iowa producers to be able to help them, again, uh, manage through the euthanasia process. And so you're, you're starting to see a lot more uh, resources at the national and, and state level. What we really need is we've got to figure out indemnity. So Right now, there's a, a patchwork of programs uh, that offer and support producers, but we just keep running into roadblocks in terms of having the authority or not having the funding, and, and we're hoping we can get an indemnity uh, plan and process worked out here soon. It reminds us that some of these things, these programs work slowly, and there's a lot of uh, red tape to work through. We're talking with Jen Sorensen, president-elect of the National Pork Producers Council. Well, what about the the aid package that was announced that USDA will be um, making direct payments to producers? Mm -hmm. Where does that stand? I believe that's still with um, OMB right now. They have not released the final um, guidance on that. I know that there's a lot of... um, conversation around the payment limitations and PPC does not want payment limitations on this particular uh, funding you know whether you're a small medium or large producer all producers are hurting right now we are all losing about $70 per hog at this point Um, oftentimes our medium and large producers are supporting thousands of smaller producers and so we we really want direct payments without those payment limitations. Also, when you look at um, the work that's being done on a COVID-4 package, you know, when uh, the Senate and House get back in session, uh, we are requesting more more aid. $1.6 billion doesn't come close to the $5 billion of losses that the U.S. pork industry has seen so far. What about the labor situation on pork operations, pork farms around the country? What are you hearing there as far as the health of the workers and the availability of of getting the workers? You know, labor is always a challenge given that farming exists in rural communities. But in terms of the impact the COVID pandemic has seen on hog farms, honestly, Mike, I'm not hearing a lot. Hog farming is, is a little bit different where farms are very spread out across rural Iowa. Oftentimes there's one or two people, um, you know, working on a farm. We're, we're, we're able to flex shift. We're, we're able to stagger employees and caretakers going in. Um, and we've been social distancing before it was a thing, Mike. So, you know, practicing mm-hmm. those biosecurity protocols, showering into our farms, we've always been pumping hand sanitizer. You know, it's kind of the basic principles of hog production and how we approach herd health and, and having those biosecurity 
practices and protocols in place. We we really, I can I can speak for my company and and for Iowa hog farmers. We we really haven't seen a big impact in our workplaces. There have been the comments made that our food supply chain is breaking uh, or close to breaking. What would you say, especially to consumers listening, wondering about are they going to find pork mm-hmm. in the in their grocery store? You know, for me, the crisis continues to be on our farms uh, with our hogs backing up. C- currently, I I wouldn't say we're in a place where we're seeing supply issues. We have plenty of hogs. There are plenty of hogs backed up. There are plenty of hogs planned for months out from now. We just have to get them through the processing and packing uh, piece of the supply chain. So, you know, while short term we don't supply, we don't anticipate supply issues, there could be issues over the long term if we do not resolve these plant disruptions. You know, that's why we need to extend much needed financial relief to pork producers to ensure we don't do long-term damage to our industry, which could negatively impact consumers down the road. So the backup is with these plants, and even with an order to keep them open, if workers aren't healthy, if if they're sick and can't work, that's, I mean, you can't order them through that. So that's, that's still the challenge, right? Keeping them healthy and that, able to work. You're absolutely right, Mike. Um, the federal government is helping coordinate with state and local officials and also coordinate across agencies with OSHA, with CDC, with the Department of Labor. But yeah, the the challenge is really very much on the grassroots level. It's ensuring that confidence and trust with those workers that the plants are a safe work environment. So a lot more work needs to be done in this area. Um, Testing is a big component you know, all of those practices and protocols and just having an open dialogue with those workforces. Yeah, you mentioned the backup. We talked about uh, hogs being basically idled, uh, you know, held on to longer mm-hmm. than they would normally be. But you can only, producers can only do that so long, right? Uh, because there are other hogs coming in that have to take that space too. Oh, absolutely. We're, we are just in time inventory. So, you know, for weeks now, we've been holding market hogs, uh, adjusting their feed rations, slowing down and stopping their growth, you know, by adding more fiber, fully utilizing our finishing barn spaces. But it, absolutely, we have already bred the sows and we already have weed pigs coming in, ready to come into those barns. So so something has to give. Um, we, we've got to clear out those spaces and we've got to get these hogs to market. And so focus on eliminating and reducing these packing plant disruptions is, is the highest priority, followed by indemnification, followed by direct payments to pork producers. We, we've, we've got to help our farmers and we've got to do everything we can to stop um, further consolidation of our industry and keep these farmers going. All right, Jen, thanks for the update. Take care. Thanks, Mike, so much. Jen Sorensen, President-Elect of the National Pork Producers Council. Up next, we're going to learn how Illinois and Minnesota corn and soybean growers are reaching out and helping folks during this crisis. That's coming up next. Stay with us here on AOA. This is a call for all farmers to come to the aid of their beans. 
Liberty herbicide can now be applied on your Enlist E3 soybeans. Superior weed control, greater application flexibility, no known resistance in U.S. row crops. Liberty herbicide battles tough weeds so your beans can live free and grow healthy. Talk to your BASF rep to learn more. Always read and follow label directions. Liberty is a registered trademark of BASF and List E3 is a trademark of Dow AgroSciences. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, we've talked a lot about the challenges facing agriculture during this uh, this pandemic crisis that we're dealing with, but I also want to point out how uh, farmers are reaching out to help folks in their communities and in their states. We have with us now Harold Wolf with the Minnesota Corn Growers and Marty Marr with the Illinois Corn Growers. I want to thank both of you for being with us. Harold, we'll start with you. Tell us about some of the things going on in the state of Minnesota that the Minnesota corn and soybean growers are involved in to reach out and to help those in need. Sure, Mike. Uh, you know, Minnesota is organized. We have county corn and soybean grower organizations that uh, that are in each of our counties, and then we have state organizations. So our county organizations like to promote our industry locally, and you know, usually they'll do that. They'll participate in a in a community summer events uh, parade. So Chippewa County Corn and Soybean Growers, because their parade was canceled, usually they hand out water during the parade, and this year they decided to donate the equivalent of the water that they would hand out in the parade to the local hospital, to the folks that were working on the front lines. Our Freeborn County Corn Growers made a $3,000 donation to three food shelves in their area to help the food shelves buy some extra food. Uh, and our Murray County Corn and Soybean Growers uh, bought vouchers from area restaurants and then handed those out to frontline workers so that they could get a free meal. So, and, and the Minnesota Corn Growers Association has been uh, working together with a couple of radio stations in the Twin Cities area to raise money for Second Harvest Heartland, a food bank that distributes uh, food both in the metro area and outside. Yeah, a lot of great efforts there in your state of Minnesota, corn and soybean growers stepping up. Uh, obviously, there's a great need out there, and uh, all these efforts help. I think so. You know, if, if we each do our part, it, it makes a difference in the end. And, uh, and, and, and I think there's a number of folks and businesses where the impact of this COVID-19 is immediate. I think the impact for a number of our corn farmers is going to be delayed. You know, uh, there's definitely going to be an impact from the lower usage of corn and, and ethanol, and but that impact is going to show up on our farms as we market our crop both uh, throughout this summer and into next year. So, so we're trying to help out those folks that have an immediate problem right now. That's Harold Wolf with the Minnesota Corn Growers. Now we go to Marty Marr with the Illinois Corn Growers. And Marty, uh, I know that the uh, Illinois corn and Illinois soy growers are working. Uh, you have a project getting hand sanitizers out to people. You bet. It's been a great effort. Uh, been collaborating with Illinois Soybean. And we also coordinated this with uh, uh, Cass Morgan Farm Bureau here locally. Uh, I want to make mention to our counterparts, Dave Wessel with Illinois Soybean Association and Lindsey McQueen with uh, 
and Cass and Morgan Farm Bureau that have been great uh, to work with and helping uh, distribute these products out, these hand sanitizers to not only our uh, first re- first responders but uh, other ag industries around this area. And uh, it's just been a great effort and been um, proud to be a part of this. You know, we're just trying to make sure that people are trying to uh, live and, and uh, handle their businesses as safe as they can. And so it's been a great effort on our part. Yeah, you've been focusing on agribusinesses, like elevators, places like that. Yes. We've uh, kind of went around the area here, went to several of the local elevators and uh, some right here in Jacksonville down to the Illinois River and back up into this uh, local area also. And um, uh, But uh, all responsible to or uh, give credit to the Illinois Marketing Board there, Bill Long in our area, kind of was part of that and helped get this going. And uh, so my hat's off to them for helping coordinate all this. It's been a, a great thing, been well received out here in the area, and uh, uh, they were glad to see us, that's for sure. We've talked a lot about uh, the struggles for ethanol plants right now, but certainly some of them have been able to contribute with the, the alcohol for the hand sanitizers. Oh, you bet. Uh, you know, this uh, this product's been, uh, uh, part of it's been produced here and right here in Illinois. All of it has actually, you know, that I've distributed with uh, Marquette's Energy here in Hennepin, Illinois, and, and glycerin from the soybeans uh, produced from biodiesel production uh, from Renewable Energy Group. And uh, just proud to help give everybody health and safety with these homegrown products. Yeah, we know these kind of projects are going on in several other states as well. Great efforts that so we're focusing here on Minnesota and Illinois. Uh, Harold Wolf, uh, uh, as a farmer, when you see what's going on with this pandemic and the economy closed down and the challenges that uh, agriculture is facing as part of that, what are your thoughts uh, what, and how do you feel about coming back out of this? Well, I think, uh, you know, so far in southern Minnesota, we haven't uh, had an explosion you know, in uh, in the farm area of COVID cases. You know, I think that's one of the things we were worried about. Will there be a disruption in our supply chain? Will we be able to get the fertilizer and supplies we need? Well, that we have not had that disruption. It's gone smoothly so far. We've been able to get our fertilizer and our seed that we need to put the crop in the ground. And I think another concern we had is what will happen if a key member of our team gets sick and has to be uh, away from the farm for two weeks. Well, we haven't seen that yet either. So, so far this spring, we've been blessed and we haven't had to deal directly with disease down on the farm. Marty, what about uh, what you've seen in Illinois? Well, you know, so far, uh, uh, I'm like uh, Harold here in Illinois, in the central Illinois area. It's been quite busy, as you know. And uh, I haven't heard of any uh, hiccups in any of the supply lines here either. Uh, I know at the local level that all these dealerships, or fertilizer dealers, everything has gone on as normal, it seems like to me. And they've done a great job of getting off to a good start with everybody here. And, um, and I think blessed is the right word to use there. We've been uh, very lucky. And uh, as far as I know, I haven't heard of any instances where anybody had to shut down any offices or, or plants or anything yet. So everything's moving on um, just like it's supposed to in a, in a springtime activity. All right, Harold, what about a planting update in your area, southern Minnesota? Uh, we've been going hot and heavy here the last uh, 10 days or so. 
um, you know, uh, a lot of corn in the ground, some beans. Uh, we are on our personal farm. We got a lot left to do yet. We're a little over half done on our corn, and we haven't planted any beans yet. But still, pretty timely for the first of uh, May. So I was say, let's compare it to a year ago. How does it compare? Uh, you know, we didn't plant anything until uh, May seventh, and we finished on June seventh. So we're certainly optimistic that we're going to be substantially ahead of that this year. Marty Marr, I know very well here in central Illinois, we've uh, been able to get a lot done. Some rains recently have slowed things back down, but uh, uh, pretty good pace so far. You bet. You know, there's a lot of people, uh, I know we are kind of in this camp. we really concerned about the cold conditions here and the cold soil temps, but, uh, you know, we're reluctant to pass up some really good planting conditions. The ground was really good in good shape, good and dry and uh, corner to corner in a lot of these fields and uh so we proceeded uh there's a lot of corn i know a lot of people that are done in this area we're done right now with with corn and about half on our beans and um got rowing corn and rowing some beans here in a few several fields but uh we're sure hopeful that uh the temps kind of come back to us and uh, uh we can get this crop really rolling on here but it sounds like we could have some wet conditions ahead of us again uh, both of your states uh, very much rely on uh, the the ethanol industries uh, as markets for corn growers. Uh, Harold, what impact are you seeing with uh, ethanol plants closing down, having to idle because of the lack of demand as people aren't driving right now? Well, you know, it's, it's been the gamut, Mike, uh, you know, from from folks from basis widening, basis levels are widening, our bids are, are getting poorer. Um, we've, I've seen, uh, where one of the local ethanol plants actually delivered corn into one of the co-op elevators that has a rail loading facility. So I know very unusual that an ethanol plant would deliver corn to a rail loading facility. Uh, and so we're trying to, trying to work through, uh, these contracts and make sure that everybody gets them delivered and, uh, and uh, that the, that the contracts are upheld. And, Marty, what are you seeing in Illinois? Well, you know, there's a lot of corn being delivered right now. I know we're uh, trying to get to the bottom of a lot of our bins and uh, trying to get wrapped up on that. A fair amount of corn being delivered, but I know there's still a lot on farm, on farm stores that uh, needs to be moved. Um, sure, hopefully we can get this uh, ethanol and bio industry back in shape here again soon. Can uh, it? Quite a struggle here for a while, I believe, but uh, hopefully this thing can be resolved and we get things back to normal, I hope. Well, I want to thank both of you and commend both of your states and your corn and soybean associations for the uh, for the outreach programs you have going, these great projects. Harold Wolf with the Minnesota Corn Growers. Harold, thank you very much. You're welcome. And Marty Marr with the Illinois Corn Growers. Marty, thanks a lot, and I look forward to getting that hand sanitizer from you. Yeah, you bet. It's coming. It's on the way. And uh, really, I want to uh, reach out to Harold there. We've worked together at the national level with uh, NCGA, and he's a great gentleman, and I uh, look forward to working with him again. Hope he stays healthy and set and well. Very good. Guys, thanks a lot. Thanks for being with us. Take care. Have a good spring. Get the rest of those crops planted. Thank you very much. That's Harold Wolf with the Minnesota Corn Growers, Marty Marr with the Illinois Corn Growers. Next, we go to the state of Oklahoma. We'll talk with the Executive Vice President of the Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association about their effort to connect consumers directly with beef producers. That's coming up next here on AOA. AOA.
Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Network, for farm and ranch information you can depend on and the sources you can trust. Adams on Agriculture and the American Ag Network. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. So we just heard from Harold Wolf with the Minnesota Corn Growers and Marty Marr with the Illinois Corn Growers about some projects in their states where corn and soybean farmers are reaching out to help folks. Uh, We now go to the state of Oklahoma. Joining us now is Michael Kelsey, Executive Vice President of the Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association. Michael, thanks for joining us. Tell us about your effort there in Oklahoma to connect uh, consumers directly with uh, cattle producers. You bet. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning, and, and hello to all of our, our friends up north. We we have really seen here uh, lately a lot of interest by consumers here in Oklahoma to to, to connect directly to uh, Oklahoma farmers and ranchers, uh, and and of course with within the cattle realms, uh, we we've been processing, and I know a lot of folks up there as well process their own beef, and and some have sold beef uh, directly to consumers for a long time. But this is really just kind of a lot of consumers, if you will, are kind of waking up to discover this. And so what we've done is, is number one, put together a couple of webinar packages for, for our members and Oklahoma beef producers to learn how they could break into this market, if you will, uh, using uh, folks on panels that have done this for a long time, as well as extension folks to talk about uh, feeding. And you know, a lot of our cow-calf folks, uh, they don't feed cattle. So what a, what a high ration diet might look like, how do you make that cost effective. So educating beef producers on how to do this. And then the flip side is, is giving consumers a portal where to go uh, locally where they can find someone. And so we opened, a, uh, we, we gathered information from our members on who is currently doing this and uh, put that on, a, on our website yesterday. This went live yesterday on our website where consumers could click and find and then go through uh, uh, producers local to them and, and see what uh, someone might be close. And it's a 10-page list of producers in Oklahoma at this point in time. It's growing every day. We have 5,000 hits from consumers on that website mm-hmm. alone yesterday. So clearly consumers are interested in connecting directly uh, to to agriculturists, to farmers, and in this case to beef cattle ranchers to, to do this. And, Mike, what's so cool about all this, if you will, is uh, our, our efforts are just to create a portal and then get out of the way. Let uh, consumers and producers create a win-win uh, relationship so that they can benefit each other. Consumers can find great-tasting beef. They can be satisfied with helping a local farmer and rancher. A local rancher can sell their product directly to a consumer, hopefully receive more of the value uh, for that beef, uh, and it benefits them. So this is a great win-win, and the, the wonderful thing about it, government is not involved. We are doing this straight to consumers, and we really like that. Michael, even before this crisis hit, we were already seeing a growth in in interest by consumers to connect directly with producers, weren't we? Yeah, we were. And it just wasn't as magnified as it has been. But you're absolutely right. We've seen that. And, and uh, even before uh, this crisis began, and, and consumers clearly want to know more about where their food is coming and, and coming from and, and how it's grown. And, and that's a great thing. It gives us an opportunity to tell our story 
and add that value to our products so that they'll pay more for it uh, so that uh, we'll be more sustainable in the long run. Uh, it'll benefit us as producers and that they can be satisfied with a great, safe, and healthy uh, food product. But as you pointed out, it's taken a little education on both both sides, mm-hmm. right, both the consumer side and the producer side. Yeah, it really has, and, and that's a good thing. Uh, it, you know, again, a lot of our producers have done this for a long time, but a lot haven't. And so some have said, hey, I have some, some place to do this, but, boy, howdy, this is all new to me. And so we, we've talked about packaging and processing, and uh, we've even had questions from producers about what are the, what's the cost-effectiveness of grass-fed versus grain-fed, hormone-free, antibiotic-free, all of these different types of, of growing programs that do have value to consumers, but they have uh, different cost uh, structures. And so it's important, uh, we've indicated to producers, look, before you dive off into this, this is a great opportunity, but make sure you, you see how deep the water is, if you will, and make sure you know what you're getting into and, and plan accordingly, put a cost analysis, a business plan in place, and this can be real successful for you. And on the other side, educating consumers. When you buy a 1,200-pound steer, you're not going to get 1,200 pounds of meat. And, and here's why, and, and here's what you can expect. And so it's been a, a, a great opportunity on both ends, and we just hope folks are successful both from the consumer and the producer side. Yeah, to get back to what you mentioned earlier, I think it is a great opportunity for the industry to really educate consumers about where their food comes from. You know, that, that has probably been the silver lining, if there is one, uh, and bear with me on that, uh, on this whole mess that we're in right now, is we have had a great opportunity to educate our consumers about their food supply. And I don't think we're done there, Mike. I think we still have a, a continued opportunity to do that. And so I think that's why it's so important for us as beef producers. Let's not be critical of each other. There's a lot of issues in our industry that we need to work on, and, and we have a lot of disagreements on how they should be conducted. But the last thing we need to be doing to consumers is, is to present consumers a picture of it that, uh, that we don't like each other because that just erodes confidence in who we are. Let's present to the consumer a strong message about we are all committed to working hard daily to bring them a great-tasting, healthy, nutritious animal protein product, and we do it uh, taking care of the environment. We're the original stewards of the environment. This is just a great opportunity for us to educate our consumer. And then, Mike, on the outside uh, or the flip side of coming out of this crisis, which we hope we can do very quickly, we'll have some momentum to continue building beef demand so that consumers will continue to purchase our product on a growing basis. I think there's great opportunity here. We're trying to find silver linings, if you will, in the cloud, and I think that's one of them. Yep, great great effort you have going there, great project. and wanted to let people know about it. I'm sure it'll, it'll be going on, if not already, in some other states as well. Michael, thanks for being with us. You bet. Thank you. Take care. Michael Kelsey, Executive Vice President of the Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association, as they are helping connect consumers directly with beef producers. Well, that wraps it up for today and for the week. And uh, we thank you for being with us and hope you have a good weekend, a safe weekend. Be careful. Coming up on Monday, we'll continue to keep you updated on this COVID-related news and also get some planning updates and the weather. So we'll get things going in on Monday. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA.